Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Matthew. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. Somebody has sinned against you, what are you going to do with it? I mean, aside from, obviously, if you're married, maybe you know you bounce it off your spouse. But, but don't start circulating it and starting to build sympathy. You need to go privately to this person who has sinned against you and say, okay, you know, now look, we need to handle this privately. I don't know if you're aware of this, but this is what's happened. And, you know, here's, here's my feelings on it. You know, do you understand this? Do you see? And hopefully Jesus says that when you explain it privately, that your brother or sister is going to be convicted. In today's message, Pastor Gary will share some biblical points on how to deal with conflict between you and a fellow believer in Christ. One key component is privacy. The matter at hand should be resolved only by those directly involved. There is no need to spread rumors or get the whole church in on personal matters between two people. Another important aspect is communication. Go to the person in question, honestly present your thoughts and feelings to them, and restitution can be made. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Matthew, chapter 18, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. And we should just let them know, hey, we we love you, I love you, and, you know, I, I see you doing some things. I just want you to know I'm here for you and I'm praying for you. And I don't know if you're interested, but, but obviously a sheep in this case may not have necessarily a will because a good shepherd is going to pick that sheep up, throw that sheep around his neck, break his legs often so that the sheep can always then grow tender towards the shepherd as the leg heals. That's when you see these pictures of shepherds walking around with sheep around their neck. That's what they would do. They would Not only the ones that were too little, but if a, if a sheep would stray and it wasn't too huge, they would often break the leg of the sheep, put it around its neck, and then the sheep would bond with the shepherd in the process of having the leg heal. It's a, it's a beautiful picture of our shepherd, the chief shepherd who was Jesus, and when we stray, what we really need is to draw close to him and have that bond with him. But in this picture, Jesus is painting for us the idea that we should go after the strays as God goes after the strays, that we should have a heart for those who have wandered and do what we can to bring them back to the fold. In the same way, he says, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should be lost. Now, from verse 15 down through verse 20, we come to this section that is entitled in my Bible, A Brother Who Sins Against You, and it obviously is a generic term. It can be a sister who sins against you. And this is a passage that is often used to resolve conflict. And it's a, it's a wonderful passage. In my opinion, it has been probably misappropriated from time to time. And I'm going to do my best to, uh, I'm going to read through all of it, and then we're going to come back and we're going to see how it is a wonderful 
kind of a four-step plan uh, for, uh, or at least a three-step plan, the fourth step is kind of the last resort, uh, of trying to resolve conflict when you're at odds with someone. And it's, it's specific. It's not just anyone. But let's take a look here, starting in verse 15. Jesus says, If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you have won your brother over. But if he will not listen, take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church... Treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. I tell you the truth, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three come together in my name, there am I with them. All right, now let's break this down. This is, this is a, a wonderful approach to trying to resolve conflict and If you've never experienced conflict with someone else in your life, you don't have a pulse, all right? Because every single breathing person will have conflict with someone else. That is just the nature of how people are. You could probably get along fine with everybody if you lived on a deserted island. But because none of us does, that means we have to learn how do we properly resolve conflict. Now... In order to understand this, there are some preconditions. Jesus, in in this outline here, he tells us there are some preconditions to conflict resolution. The first is, he's speaking of conflict resolution between believers. Note this. He starts by saying, if your brother, okay, again, generic, if your sister, if, if if a fellow believer, that's what he's saying here. Not everybody in the context is a brother. So he's being specific here. If you have a conflict with someone who is a fellow Christian, this does not work. For If you're at odds with somebody at, at your office and they're not a Christian, you can't apply Matthew 18. Maybe some of it in principle you can. But you get to a certain stage here and you're not going to be able to take your coworker before the leaders of the church because your coworker could care less about what church you go to and the leaders of the church. This is not a generic conflict resolution for just anybody and everybody. This is a conflict resolution plan for Christians. When a brother is at odds with a brother or a sister or vice versa or two sisters, but this is in the context of the church. This is among Christians. The second precondition to this plan needs to be that this is a conflict resolution as it pertains to a sin issue. This is very important. Again, verse 15. If your brother sins against you, this is not if your brother or sister hurts your feelings. Okay? I was offended. This person didn't look at me when I said hi to them. I want the church to get involved. No. I'm sorry that's offensive, but that's not a sin issue. Somebody doesn't want to be my friend. I want the church to get involved. No, that's not a sin issue. They just don't like you, okay? So, but, but as, as he speaks here, please note this. This is sin issues. Everybody's going to get offended at some point. Offenses happen. 
It's not like I'm trying to give a license for us just to offend each other. But just in reality, human nature will offend, and oftentimes unintentionally. There will be unintentional offenses that will happen. By the way, a great verse to remind us of how to deal with those offenses that might come our way is Proverbs 19.11, which says it is the glory of a man to overlook an offense. We have to be careful that we don't make everything out of something. There are some things we just need to give to God and pray, and He'll take care of it, and He'll deal with our hearts, and He'll deal with the other person. We don't have to always point it out. You know, if you have the ministry of pointing out offenses, lose it quickly because too many people just feel like I, my mission is to point out how you offended me and you offended me and you offended me. And, and they, they, it, it just seems like they're on this mission to be the Holy Spirit police in the lives of other people. Offenses happen. It is sad. It isn't always right. It is often unintentional. But the Bible says that it is the glory of a man or a woman to overlook an offense, Proverbs 19.11. Take it to the Lord. Let Him help you with it. Then there might be a time after that that you need to go and talk to someone, even if it's not a sin issue. But in this particular example, Jesus is talking about resolving conflict as it relates to sin issues. Number three, you must have two to three witnesses in in order to do this the way Jesus says to do it. Some people read this and they say, if you... You deal with a a sin issue or an offense. Some people would think it's an offense. It's not. Sin issue. You deal with a sin issue with somebody against you, and they don't listen to you. You get two or three of your friends, and you take them with you. Jesus did not say, you know, gather up a posse, all right, and take clubs, and you just gang up on somebody that has wronged you. No, it has to be two or three witnesses of the sin issue that you're confronting. It is, it is pointless to bring two or three people with you to confront someone in love who has sinned against you if they haven't seen it and they have no clue. And I see this happen. You know, people misapply Matthew 18. They're, I'm just going to get two or three of my friends, and they're just going to go, as, like what, to support you, to, to like be there by your side with arms crossed, like they're your bodyguards? What? what? What good are they actually going to be if they didn't see it? It's hearsay. Now, They may not necessarily have been an eyewitness to your specific event, but they may have experienced exactly what you've experienced themselves. So let's say somebody stole money from you, and you don't have two or three witnesses who witnessed the person stealing money from you, but you have two or three witnesses who themselves were robbed by the same person. There has to be at least an eyewitness to the same sin issue if not at least that incident that you're confronting. This can't just be random people. You pull off the street, you're friends, and it's just a matter of I'm going to gang up on you because I'm bringing two or three of my friends. That's not what he's saying here. If they're not an eyewitness, you can't even apply this. And then number four, the goal is to win your brother or sister, not to win the argument. That's the goal. Jesus said here, He says, if he listens to you, in verse 15, you have won your brother over. The idea is, I want to reestablish what might be a broken fellowship and relationship because of this sin issue. Uh, I want, uh, the goal is for the Lord to bring healing. The goal is for the person to come to the place of some conviction about what they've done. But the goal is not, I just want to be right. The goal is, 
I want to win my brother or sister over. I want to have fellowship. It grieves God and it grieves me to not be in fellowship. And so, you know, we need to see what we can do to mend the fences here. Uh, So these are the preconditions. Before we even look at the pattern that he tells us, we have to understand these preconditions. Everybody get this, right? So now let's see what what the actual resolution plan, the steps are. So the first thing Jesus says here is, verse 15, If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. So the first thing is, it needs to be handled privately. It needs to be handled privately. And privately means just what it suggests. It it can't be that you start talking to a bunch of other people first. You talk to the person who sinned against you. You don't, you don't already go gossiping about it and saying, well, can you believe what this person has done? Now, you've, you've just spread all of this stuff, when, and it's going to be detrimental to trying to repair what, is, what has happened between you and the other person if you're already bad-mouthing him or her to a bunch of other people. So we have to be careful with this. Somebody has sinned against you. What are you going to do with it? I mean, aside from, obviously... If you're married, maybe, you know, you bounce it off your spouse. But, but don't start circulating it and starting to build sympathy. You need to go privately to this person who has sinned against you and say, okay, you know, now look, we need to handle this privately. I don't know if you're aware of this, but this is what's happened. And, you know, here's, here's my feelings on it. You know, do you understand this? Do you see? And hopefully, Jesus says, that when you explain it privately, that your brother or sister is going to be convicted. We're going to say, you know, you're right, and I've sinned against you, and I'm wrong, and I'm sorry, and I apologize, and what can I do to make it right? And, and Jesus says, that if he listens to you, that's the rest of verse 15, you have won your brother over. So hopefully it stops there. You take it privately. You deal with it privately. There's forgiveness. There is repentance. And everything from that point forward is, is moving in a wonderful direction, and you've won your brother over, your sister over. But that doesn't always happen the way that we would like, the way that he first proposes. So, verse 16, he says, But if he will not listen, take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. So that's the second thing that he says. You you handle it privately. A person doesn't respond. They they are obstinate. They, They don't repent. They're not sorry. Now you're going to go take two or three witnesses of the sin issue or like kind of this person with you. And Jesus quotes here from Deuteronomy 19.15. That's, that's what he quotes. He says, he says, take one or two others along that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Even in 1 Timothy, Paul says, don't entertain an accusation against an elder of the church unless it is brought by two or three witnesses. In a court of law, we get this, right? There has to be two or three witnesses before somebody can even be convicted. Otherwise, it's just hearsay. It's he said, she said, or it's hearsay. Somebody else heard, and so I'm passing on this information. There has to be eyewitnesses, and there has to be two or three. And so then you bring two or three with you, and they can substantiate. Each of the two or three can say, yeah, I've seen this myself. Yes, I've witnessed this myself. Yes, you did a similar thing to me. Now, hopefully, then, on this step, the person will be convicted and say, okay, I see, now that, now that you're all pointing out the same thing, I'm convicted and I'm sorry, and there's repentance, and then there's forgiveness. 
If that doesn't happen, verse 17, Jesus says, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. So that's the third step. You have to bring it to church leaders. Now, he, he is using the word ecclesia here in the Greek. It is the, it is the ones who are called out. It is, the, it is the church, but it is not to be interpreted as every single person in the church. This is not a gossip session where we air the... And I've, and I've heard of some churches, and I think it's tragic when they do this. Some pastor gets up and says, you know, so-and-so has sinned against so-and-so, and two or three witnesses were approached, uh, approached them as well, and we're taking Matthew 18, and so now we're exposing their sin before the whole congregation. Are you kidding me? You shame someone like that? You, you have just written them... There's no way for them to recover. Or you've just shamed them into recovery, and that's not a genuine recovery. So there has to be genuine repentance, and there has to be done in a tactful way. It has to be done in a graceful way. You want to see someone able to not only recover in their relationship with the other person, but you want to see them walking with the Lord, and to air their dirty laundry in public is not the remedy for this. So when he says here, tell the church, he doesn't mean everybody in the church. It's implied church leaders, because who is going to speak on behalf of the church but church leaders? And then he says, and if he refuses to listen even to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. And this was a traditional Jewish term for ostracism. He's basically saying, put the person out of the church. There is a place for church discipline. It is difficult. It should be rare. But it is sometimes necessary. Uh, Because any, just think in terms of the human body, any, any human body that cannot purge itself of a sickness will eventually die. The body of Christ has to, be, has to maintain its health. And sometimes to maintain health, it's necessary that you have to purge from among the body uh, that which is uh, infecting it. Uh, again, I think it, has, it should be rare, but it is sometimes necessary. Um, and, you know, we've, we've come close to having to do this kind of a thing here at Cornerstone just for the sake of trying to keep a healthy body. I, I can think of, for example, particularly on the issue of uh, some, sometimes on a, few, on a couple of rare occasions, the issue of somebody seeking a divorce and didn't have biblical grounds. And unfortunately, in, in two cases I can think of it, uh, that we had to deal with, it involved the women who were seeking divorces from their husbands, and they didn't have biblical grounds. And they knew they didn't, and they admitted that they didn't, but they just wanted to check out. They were done with the marriage. And so it's one of these things where, okay, the, the husband tries to work it out first with the wife. The wife tries to work it out first with the husband. If that doesn't happen, and, you know, in, in these cases, she's already admitted, yeah, I just went out. So you don't even really need two or three witnesses because a person, if they already admit their sin, you know, you don't need witnesses to substantiate anything. And then sometimes church leadership has to get involved. And we've, we've had to sit down and say, you know, do you understand that if you move forward with this and you know you have no biblical grounds, and by the way, next week is chapter 19, we'll talk about the biblical grounds of divorce, Jesus talks about it, that if you, if you, you don't have biblical grounds, you know this is sin, this is wrong, if you move forward with this, we're going to have to ask you to leave the church. Now, when you get to that point and you're saying those things, most people will either change, hopefully that's okay, will reverse course, or they'll end up leaving before you have to ask them to leave. Because at that point, they just want to do what they want to do, and they don't want, they don't want to hear it anymore. So then they'll just end up leaving and going somewhere else. And, and, um, and you know, sometimes this is necessary. But it is necessary for the sake of the body. Because how bad would it be 
Think about it in terms of who knows what. How bad would it be when you know it's just a, a member of Cornerstone, a, a regular attender of Cornerstone. Hey, so-and-so is divorcing their husband or so-and-so is divorcing their wife and they have no biblical grounds and they're just doing it because they're just one out of the marriage and church leadership knows about it and, and, and the church is okay with it. And what, what is that saying to you? I mean, it's not, it's not representing God right. It's not representing His Word right. And then it confuses the body of Christ because they think, I guess this is okay. I guess Cornerstone is a no-fault divorce church. You know, it's, and, and so for the sake of honoring God and his word, we have to do things the way he says. And Jesus says, okay, there's a step. And if you violate these steps, uh, then the last resort is to put them out of the church. Now, having said that, it is important that if it ever comes to that, that I think that someone needs to be sent with a letter or a, a statement of love to the effect that here's what can happen in order for you to return. It's not kick them to the curb and forever forsaken. Uh, in 1 Corinthians, there's a, a sin issue in the church at Corinth, and Paul addresses it with the Corinthians. And he says, you are tolerating a sin issue, and in this particular case, he talks about how a man had his father's wife. Now, it wasn't his mother. It meant that it was his stepmother. He was sleeping with his stepmother because a father's wife means just that. If, he, if it was his mother, if it was something incestual, it would have said, a man is sleeping with his mother. But it says his father's wife. So in the church, there was a guy who was sleeping with his stepmother, and the church was tolerating it in the name of love. Well, you know, it's all we love you. Uh, you know, love is all we need, right? There's a song. It would make a great song, wouldn't it? Love, love, love. Love is all we need. And so the church at Corinth was just, we love you, brother. It's okay, bro. You find her attractive? You want to sleep with your stepmom? It's okay. It's all about love and grace. No, it's not. That's sloppy agape. That's not real love. It's not real love at all. And Paul says, you know what you need to do? You need to kick him out of the church. You need to put him out. Because it's better to put him out so that hopefully he can come to his senses and then he will not perish eternally, but he can come to his senses. And then in 2 Corinthians, Paul says, now I want you to bring him back into the fellowship. Because the punishment inflicted upon him has been sufficient. In other words, the inference is, this guy has repented, he's sorry, and I want you to love on him, and I want you to bring him back. Otherwise, Satan's going to take advantage, and he's going to mess with this guy, and he's going to make this guy think that somehow the church is representing God when the church is not representing God. The church is being harsh and abrasive at this point. It's not being loving. When there's repentance, there should be restoration. When there's genuine repentance, there should be love, and you should embrace, and you should restore. And so, even as Jesus says this, it is not to just imply that you're done with them, because Paul picks up this whole theme in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. There is a rare time and place when someone might need to be put out of the church. But for the sake of, hopefully, them coming to the place of repentance, getting right with God, and then the church loving on them and bringing them back into the fold and encouraging them. So... These steps that Jesus tells us are necessary and important with those preconditions. And, um, you know, fortunately, again, it's not been a regular practice around here, but church leadership has to be prepared to deal with things as we are made aware of it. Obviously, in a church our side with a, size with a few thousand people who attend on weekends, we don't know a lot of what's going on. But to the degree that we do, we have a responsibility uh, when and if we need to be involved to, to do that. And, um, and this is part of maintaining the health of the body of Christ. Hope is no-
Thanks for tuning in to Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Pastor Gary has been walking us through the first book of the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew. This unique perspective on Jesus' life gives you a glimpse into the Son of God, the Savior of the world, and the true King above all kings. Jesus' greatest act while on earth was to give His life to pay for the sins of every person, and that includes you. If you're ready to step away from your mistakes and failures and embrace a new life, Jesus is ready for you. His grace is enough. You can come to Him no matter what your past looks like. Would you like someone to pray with you? Or do you have some more questions? We'd love to talk to you. Please connect with us at prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. That's prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. We'd love to meet you, too. You're invited to join us this weekend at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg. We're meeting in person as well as online. And you can find all the information you need on our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. There, you can also hear additional messages from the series in Matthew or others that Pastor Gary has shared. Again, that website is cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all we have time for today. Thanks for tuning in to Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know